the mystery history podcast i'm allison i'm rachel welcome to episode 156 on randall woodfield the i5 killer yup he a killer on the i5 it appears specifically specifically so (laughs) we don't have any business this week so we're just gonna jump into it because we're in a hurry (laughs) <laughs> We're in a hurry. We're on a time crunch. We got stuff to do, but we need to provide content. Also, that's right. We're dedicated. Very dedicated. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Randall Woodfield. He was born on December 26, 1950 in Salem, Oregon. He was the youngest child of an upper middle class family. His mother was a homemaker, as they were. And his father was an executive at Pacific Northwest Bell. He has two older sisters, one of whom went on to become a doctor and the other an attorney. Wow. So like two really well-rounded, well-adjusted, smart women doing the thing. And then there's the I-5 killer. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. The Woodfield family was well-known and respected in their community. Randall was raised in Otter Rock, Oregon, which is a small seaside town approximately eight miles north of Newport. He was a football star at Newport High School. He also played basketball and ran track. So his childhood was pretty stable. Yeah. Really good, as some would say. Yep. But Randall started to exhibit some sexually dysfunctional behaviors during junior high school, particularly showing everybody his wiener. (laughs) Ah, Randall, why you gotta do it? Randall. While in high school, he was known as a peeping Tom. And once Randall exposed himself to a group of teenage girls on Yaquina Bay Bridge, and he got arrested. Wow. However, his football coaches helped conceal the incident to prevent him from being kicked off of the team, and his juvenile record was expunged when he turned 18. So, nobody knew. Mm -hmm. Um, His parents did force him to attend therapy after the incident, though. So, they tried to do what they could. What they needed to do. Yeah. That's the problem, especially with, like, football stars and stuff like that. They get a slap on the wrist showing their Mm -hmm. weed to everybody and then it morphs into probably what we're going to talk about yep after graduating from high school randall attended treasure valley community college in ontario oregon later transferring to portland state university in 1970 where he played for the portland state vikings as a wide receiver so he's a big boy Mm -hmm. at portland state he was active in campus crusade for christ which (sighs) You know what I mean? Like (laughs) showing his ween for Christ, um, which was an evangelical Christian student group and lived in an apartment located on the South Park blocks. A former teammate later was quoted as saying it seemed real important to him that he came across as someone who would do the right thing, almost like it was keeping him together. Gary Hamblett, Randall's football coach, recalled When he was with me, he was the nicest, most gentlemanly kid I ever knew. He was quiet and polite, hardworking, and real coachable. 
Other teammates and peers of Randall recalled him as soft-spoken and kind of a loner who didn't have a lot of friends, but noted his athleticism. He was a suave, sophisticated fella, says John Kerry, a PSU quarterback in 1972, confident in himself, but not to the point of being cocky. So is this dangerous? Because Randall knows what he should be doing. Uh Uh-huh. And he knows how to portray, like, what other people want to see. Uh-huh. Which is scary. And I thought it was really interesting. So the last two sentences you read were from two different sources. Mm-hmm. And one source, which was a lot of his teammates, because it was from Sports Illustrated, an article Sports Illustrated did on him. Um, uh, They were talking about how, like confident he was and how he would sometimes say like off the wall stuff they didn't describe him as a loner they didn't describe him as quiet um soft-spoken that wasn't what he was described as by those people so it was really interesting to see from the two different sources how he was described as a person Mm -hmm, right Despite his thriving in college, Randall was arrested on several occasions for petty crimes, first in 1970 for vandalizing the apartment of his ex-girlfriend, and later in 1972 for public indecency in Vancouver, Washington. In 1973, he was arrested again for public indecency in Multnomah County, Oregon. So obviously he just wants to show everybody his wiener. I think it's crazy. Like people get arrested for that when they're like drunk and they pee outside Mm -hmm. of a bar, you know, not like running around all the time. So he's been arrested for this multiple times now. Randall chose to drop out of college three semesters shy of graduating with his bachelor's in physical education and was selected as a wide receiver in the 1974 NFL draft by the Green Bay Packers in the 17th round. So he was the 428th pick. Randall tried to establish himself with the Packers during um, coach and general manager Dan Devine's last season, but he couldn't shake his problems just because he switched where he was at. So Mm -hmm. he was still having issues. He signed a contract in February 1974 but was cut during training camp, failing to make the team's final roster. Ooh, bummer. Yeah. I just don't understand the exposing yourself thing, like what rush that gives. No woman is ever like, oh, thank you for sharing that with me ever. (laughs) Right. Whether it's a text message nowadays or whatever, don't do it. Don't do it. I guarantee you they send that to all their friends and they laugh at you. 100%. (laughs) I'll bet money I just on don't, it. yeah, and I just don't understand what rush a person's getting from doing that, like randomly out in town and continually getting arrested. And the other thing is, you know, that he's doing it more than the times he's getting arrested. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Because Those I'm sure there's lots of times he, yeah, he does it, runs away. Nobody knows who the guy is. I mean, I'm sure that happened a ton of times. And then he just got caught these handful of times, but, but it's been a lot. So he's probably doing this like, pretty often <laughs> well and in my mind it's him naked under a trench coat a trench like, coat and like opening to how else would you expose yourself to everyone i feel like that i would mean be that's very got difficult. to be the only way right <laughs> i don't know 
After being cut by the Packers, Randall played the 1974 season with the semi-pro Manawak Chiefs and worked for Oshkosh Trucks. As Woodfield had a Portland State, he can ran precise routes and distinguished himself with speed and Manawak. That was a really tough sentence. Sorry. Mm -hmm. After the season, though, Woodfield was dropped by the Chiefs. No reason was given publicly. There were rumors, however, that the team had off-field concerns. Yeah. I bet they did. They sure did. (laughs) The Chiefs, along with their league, disbanded in 1976. While there are no public arrest records for Woodfield in Wisconsin, a detective would later learn that Woodfield was involved in at least 10 cases of indecent exposure across the state. As one Wisconsin law enforcement officer recalls years later, Woodfield couldn't keep that thing in his pants. No, he couldn't. Ridiculous. Like, was it impressive? Was it like something to, he I needed don't to know. show people? Even if it was, you don't need to show people. You don't need to. It's not necessary. I don't know. And I'm, I read something. I don't know if we talk about it again later. I don't know if I added it in the notes or not. But in that Sports Illustrated article, it kind of alluded to the fact that the Packers cut him because of off-field concerns, too. Though they also did not publicly go on record and say mm-hmm. they were doing that for any reason, it seems like that's probably why. So basically, he could have been a professional NFL football player, probably, if he wasn't showing everybody his penis. He was just packing it in his pants instead of out in the open. Yeah. So Mm. there it is. Randall left Wisconsin in late 1974 because he wasn't making it as a professional football player at this point. Well, and everybody's seen his wiener there, so he needs to Yeah, he's got to move on. (laughs) Got to go somewhere else. (laughs) And he returned to Portland. He was feeling disgraced by his failure to maintain his football career. So he's basically feeling down and out and bad about himself. In early 1975, several Portland women were accosted by a knife-wielding man. They were forced to perform oral sex and then robbed of their handbags. Law enforcement responded to the string of crimes by having a female police officer, well, more than one, but lots of them, act as decoys. That would be so scary. Now, I read two different... um, you know, scenarios of how this went down. One was on March 3rd, 1975, Randall was arrested after being caught with marked money from one of the undercover officers. The other thing that I read said that he actually went and tried to rob one of the officers and people came out and got him. So I don't know which one it actually was, but he got caught with these decoys. Upon interrogation, he confessed to the crimes and he blamed poor sexual impulse control which he claimed was a result of his use of steroids. Okay. Which I'm not going to buy that because he had poor impulse, sexual impulse control before the steroids. So maybe it's making it worse. Well, but I think that it that's more like rage, right? Like I've never no, taken steroids. No, it's not. It does sexual things too. I think, I think steroids, you know, I'm not a doctor, so I don't actually know, but I think, um, when you have raised testosterone, Mm. it makes you want to 
yeah. f things. <laughs> we so, should ask his sister, who's a doctor, and be like, yeah. "What do you think about your bro?" Well, I know for a fact that higher testosterone results in a higher sex drive. I don't know if testosterone's even in steroids, but I imagine there's some sort yeah. of correlation there to get bigger. So, yeah, I think there's some weight to that. But he obviously had an issue before. He wasn't yeah. doing steroids in middle school when all this started. So, you know, he probably should have definitely stayed off the juice because <laughs> yeah. he was already having problems. In April 1975, Randall pled guilty to reduce charges of second degree robbery. He was sentenced to 10 years in prison, but was freed on parole in July 1979 after having served four years. Can you imagine if somebody forced you to give them a blowjob with that by knife point and then they caught the guy and they let him out in four years and he didn't just do it to you, but to a bunch of other people? Yeah, that's crazy. That's another slap and then on when the you wrist. Be- yeah, it is. And it would be scary just to like be out in the world mm-hmm. because you know that person's also out in the world. Right. That's just well, not fair. <laughs> no, it is not fair. Out of prison, he cut a contradictory figure. For all his failures, let go from bartending gigs, jet set in by girlfriends, they hardly seem to come at the expense of self confidence. He cruised around Portland in a gold. 1974 champagne edition Volkswagen Beetle. Wow, that's so sexy. It was, I mean, it was a cute car though. <laughs> that's it though. <laughs> it's cute, right? But you're yeah, not like it's more muscles. Yeah, it's more of a lady car, but it was it was a pretty car. <laughs> yeah. And took unmistakable pride in his physique. Obviously, he loves to show it around all parts of it. He was Mm -hmm. especially fond of sending naked photos of himself to a woman. So this was what in the not to a woman, to women. Oh, just to to, multiple women. To all in general. Mm -hmm. He would just send out mailers. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I'm assuming. (laughs) And this was before. Like, it's not easy to just like take pictures. You have to go get them developed, right? Yeah. Or is this a Polaroid situation? I don't know if it's a Polaroid situation or I wonder if he could like develop his own film because otherwise do places develop those kind of pictures and just like be like, here you go. I'm sure. I'm sure. I would love to interview somebody who used to work at a photo department like at or Walmart or something. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they saw all kinds of stuff. I'm sure they did too. Do you remember when we were teenagers and we took a ton of like they weren't like inappropriate. We weren't naked right. or anything like that. But we had on like uh, pajamas, like a shirt and pants and then put mm-hmm. bras on over it. And we were just like messing around. Yeah. We took those pictures to get printed at the Sam's Club. And a guy I was talking to worked at the photo department at the Sam's Club. Oh, <laughs> and geez. he was like, he was like, oh, I saw those. And I was like, okay. Oh, that would have been <laughs> what a good job you could learn so much about people yeah you could see all sorts of stuff I think Sarah took it to the Sam's Club to get it developed and then later he was like I saw some pictures of you and I was like I'm sorry what now (laughs) right (laughs) so yeah that kind of stuff probably happened back then and yeah just I don't know how he got these pictures but apparently he had a lot of them because he was sending them out wow 
And are they the same picture? Did he just like get the same one or was it different angles? You know, I don't know. I need details here. Details, details, people. (laughs) In late 79, Woodfield was photographed in a state of undress. His abundant muscles abundantly oiled. Oh my I God. took that straight out of an article. I love that. Abundant, abundant. muscles, abundantly oiled. <laughs> Man, there's a lot of abundance. Oh. Um, he mailed the image to Playgirl for consideration. The following May, he received a letter back. Congratulations. You have been selected for possible publication and Playgirl's Guy Next Door feature. Woodfield waited for his photo shoot, and that's when police believe he began to murder. So he's on the, the precipice of success. But they never called him back. I think he got his feelings hurt or something. Uh, I don't know. And who is buying? Like, I can appreciate all bodies. Women, men, beauty's beauty, right? Mm-hmm. I just, it would never occur to me to buy a Playgirl. Like, that doesn't do it anything It certainly for wouldn't me. now for you. But maybe, like, back then when you didn't have the internet... <laughs> I mean, I guess do they have subs- like I wonder how many they had subscriptions. But I wonder. I how have many people- a friend. I have a friend. He's gay, but he has like decades, decades of Playgirl magazines that he got from. So I don't. I'm not even going to how he got them. He didn't get them. Like he didn't collect them himself. Somebody mm-hmm. like gifted them to him. But I'm talking like hundreds. <laughs> of them and it was that one person's collection so like there are people that did that yeah these were i mean these were gay men so yeah, the gay men that's... were into the playgirls i could see that <laughs> probably more than i don't know i just there's not a whole lot of like women like the housewife the general housewife is not going to have a subscription to playgirl probably right. i don't think your husband would be like yeah that's cool back in the 50s <sighs> right but <laughs> still what a wild maybe world. she Maybe she would sneak one or two under the mattress. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) On October 9th, 1980, now we're getting into it. Sherry Lynn Ayers, an x-ray technician and former classmate of Randall's, was raped and murdered in her apartment in the 9,000 block of Southwest 9th Place in downtown Portland. Her body was discovered on October 11th by her fiance. She had been bludgeoned and stabbed repeatedly in the neck. Sherry Lynn, a University of Oregon graduate, had known Randall since second grade. Wow. They attended the same schools in Newport. During Randall's prior four-year imprisonment, he and Sherry Lynn had corresponded, so they would write each other letters. Suspecting Randall's involvement in Sherry Lynn's murder, Sherry Lynn's family provided his name to law enforcement. Hmm. He was questioned, but he refused to sit for a polygraph test. Homicide detectives found his answers generally evasive and deceptive. That's a quote. But a blood test did not link Randall to the crime, nor did his semen match that found in the victim's body, which girlfriend's got a fiance. Right, right. Maybe it -hmm. wasn't. Maybe he didn't do it in there. So whatever. In a time predating reliable DNA testing, there was no other physical evidence at the crime scene, so no charges were brought against him at that time. Wow. So they just, they suspected him, but could not get enough to charge him. Mm. 
one month later on the morning of November 27th, otherwise known as Thanksgiving Day, Randall arrived at the North Portland home of Darcy Renee Fix, who was 22, planning to assault her. Randall had known Darcy during college as an ex-girlfriend of one of his close friends. Douglas Keith Atlick, 24, was at Darcy's home when Randall arrived. Both Darcy and Douglas were subsequently bound and shot to death execution style in the home. And Darcy's 32 caliber revolver was missing from the scene. Due to his acquaintance with Darcy, Randall was questioned about the murders, but law enforcement found no concrete evidence pointing to his involvement. So he's just going to girl to girl that he knows. And wouldn't you be like, oh shit, if you got questioned in two murder cases that you were the murderer on? Yeah. But like, oh, maybe I'm not good at this. (laughs) But he has never out of everything he's done. He has no reason to believe he'll maybe he'll go away for four years. Oh, all right, whatever. But so what? Yeah, he doesn't really have any reason to believe he would be in big big trouble (laughs) after committing the murders of darcy and douglas randall began a series of robberies throughout the pacific northwest on december 9th 1980 randall wearing a fake beard held up a vancouver washington gas station at gunpoint in eugene oregon four nights later on december 13th he raided an ice cream parlor on december 14th which is the next day he robbed a drive-in restaurant in albany during one of the robberies randall wore what appeared to be a band-aid or athletic tape across the bridge of his nose so like what football players wear those nasal strips mm-hmm. on december 21st randall again wearing a false beard accosted a waitress in seattle trapping her in a restaurant bathroom and forcing her at gunpoint to masturbate him wow and I've never heard it said that way. I haven't either. And I was like, <laughs> should I change that to hand job? <laughs> but yeah. I didn't because I feel like they call like blowjobs. They say oral sex and uh-huh. hand jobs apparently are masturbate. And I feel like when you're forced to do it, I guess it should be called something different. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's fair to me. <laughs> so he's just off the rails at this point. He's just going from place to place, robbing and doing bad things to people yes yes he is by january 1981 law enforcement had dubbed the robber the i-5 bandit giving his apparent preference for committing crimes along the interstate 5 corridor on january 8th he held up the same vancouver gas station he had robbed in december that sucks it's like lightning doesn't strike (laughs) twice but it does yeah it does (laughs) This time, forcing a female attendant to expose her breasts after he emptied the cash register. Like, what the He's hell? like a child, like a little boy. Like, right. what? what? Well, and like the, the difference to like, show me your boobies yeah. and I'm going to rape you right now. Like, that's so yeah. different. And murder you. Yeah. yeah. He's Three... like all over the place. Yes. That's And it just depends on which one you're going to get whenever he shows up. You know, it's Mm -hmm. crazy. Three days later, on January 11th, he robbed a market in Eugene. The next day, January 12th, he shot and wounded a female grocery clerk at a store in Sutherland, Oregon. Is he not tired yet or what? Like, I'm tired just thinking about listening to him, right? 
On January 14th, a man matching the description of the I-5 bandit and wearing a false beard invaded a home occupied by two sisters. This one's terrible. Aged eight and 10. He ordered the girls to undress and sexually assaulted them, forcing the older girl to perform fellatio. Why? Why? Creep. Four days later in Salem, a man matching the same description entered an office building and sexually abused two women, Sherry Hall and Lisa Garcia, after which he shot them both in the head. He killed Sherry and wounded Lisa, but he left her for dead. He thought she was dead, but Lisa was not dead. She was pretending to be dead until he left. How do you pretend to be dead after you have been shot in the head? I do not know, but like, damn. I wonder if like, just like you can be knocked unconscious. You know what I mean? If you got shot in the freaking head, I feel like you would lose consciousness for a minute. And I hope that you would. So then you could pretend to be dead. Very well. Yeah. That would be so terrifying. Mm -hmm. Well, she got up and called the cops after he left. On January 26th and 29th, he traveled to Southern Oregon and committed robberies in Eugene, Medford, and Grants Pass. In the latter location, two females, a clerk and customer, were assaulted by the robber. And they couldn't catch him? That No. I mean, geez. This is tons he of witnesses. Like, tons of... He was, uh, like, all over the place, too, though. Like... They don't know where he's from because he's hitting all these places. And these places are not like right next to each other. Yeah. Right. You know? Ugh. Okay. And then too, I I added this picture. I mean, in here, these are like the descriptions that like police drawings of him. And not it's like all really not one look all similar. Maybe a couple of they're they're kind of all over the place. Um, I do like that he thought the nose strip really like covered him up. (laughs) Or maybe he just needed more uh, ability to breathe whenever he's raping and robbing folks and murdering them. I don't know. And like the false beard. Yeah. And everybody knew it was fake too. Yeah. Yeah. So it was bad. (laughs) I don't know. And what do you get like those in bulk? Do you use the same one? What are we doing? I don't know. Yeah. On February, because because what like after you use those like one time the stickiness wears off and what it falls off halfway through like just <laughs> comical. On February third, nineteen eighty one, the bodies of Donna Eckert, thirty seven, and her fourteen year old daughter Janelle Charlotte Jarvis were found together in a bed in their home at Mountain Gate, California, north of Redding. Each had been so- shot several times in the head. It's just no rhyme or reason to this guy. Mm-hmm. Forensic tests showed that the girl had also been sexually assaulted. The same day, 15 miles away in Reading, a female store clerk was kidnapped and raped in a holdup. An identical crime was reported 100 miles away in Yurka, California, on February 4th, with the same man robbing an Ashland, Oregon motel that night. Five days later, in Corvallis, a man matching the I-5 bandit's description held up a fabric store, molesting the clerk and her customer before he left. Nobody and nowhere is safe either. Like ice cream parlors, Mm -hmm. fabric stores. Like he doesn't care. He does not care. He drives by and like, oh, well, I'm itching. That looks like a place. Yeah. 
On February 12, 1981, robberies committed by a man matching the I-5 bandit's description occurred in Vancouver, Olympia, and Bellevue, Washington. So he's just bam, 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 bam. Mm -hmm. Going from one to the next. Mm -hmm. The Olympia and Bellevue incidents included three sexual assaults. That's crazy. And that's what's scary about this guy. One of the things is that yeah, there's no rhyme or reason to what he's doing, what he's going to hit. He's got no MO. It's just willy-nilly. Some live, some die. Some get assaulted, some don't. You have no idea. Mm-hmm. He's just and doing it, all of the things. In such a wide range, like several cities everywhere yeah. would be terrified. Several, several states. Yeah. He's been yeah. in Washington, Oregon, California. Like He's all over the place and doing all kinds of things. And it's kind of amazing that they were able to look at like all of these and be like, this is the same guy mm -hmm. because of the fact that he's behaving differently at all yeah. these places and they're not close to each other. Right. Necessarily. Upon an impending visit, this was weird, um, to Portland, Randall planned a Valentine's Day party at the city's downtown Marriott Hotel. He invited friends and acquaintances from college after no guests came. Sucks to suck, no, Randall. Nobody. <laughs> Sucks to suck, Randall. <laughs> After no guests came, he drove to the Beaverton home of 18-year-old Julie Reitz, whom he had met while working as a bouncer at the Fawcett, which is a bar in Portland. He arrived at her home around 2 a.m. on February 15th. Around 4 a.m., he raped and then shot Julie in the head, killing her. Police investigating the scene determined that Julie had had a glass of wine with her attacker and had also begun to prepare coffee. A package of instant coffee was discovered on the kitchen counter and water in a kettle had been left to completely boil away. So basically they know that she knew this guy, right? right For the right. most part. And also they, I'm pretty sure that he knew her because he like let her in when she was underage, uh -huh. like let her into this bar when she was underage. Right. One, it sounds like she was trying to brew coffee to sober him up to get him the hell out of here. Probably. Yikes. Well, and he probably planned this Valentine's Day party because he had all that money from all the robberies that he's done. He needs to spend it on something. But not a one person came. I just thought that was so random. Like, yeah. I don't know. Because how does he have time? I don't know. And who goes to Valentine's Day parties? Single like people. you have you have a valentine's day party like a girl's valentine's day party i've literally never heard of like a boy girl valentine's day party where you just invite a bunch of people yeah you did in fourth grade yeah <laughs> <laughs> that was the last Correct. time i i attended one of those parties <laughs> you're right <laughs> by february 28th the investigation was now focused on randall thank god but by then, the I-5 bandit had struck three more times in Eugene on February 18th and 21st and with another sexual assault in Corvallis on February 25th. Detectives in Moraine. Marion. God, why am I struggling? Marion <laughs> County assembled a call log showing Randall had placed calls via calling card at payphones near the murder sites around the time they were committed. Do you know what calling cards are? Because oh. I read that and I was like, what's that yeah. mean? Yeah. You don't know yeah. what a calling card is? 
I mean, I do now because I Googled it and I knew yeah. before, I guess I just didn't realize they were called that. It's just minutes. Yeah. Like for out of state calls. I used to use those yeah. when I talked to my boyfriend in Pennsylvania. Oh, yeah. Did I? I probably did too. No, no. I don't know. You probably no. ran up that phone bill. I don't, I don't know. Well, did we, I just talk to him on the internet? <laughs> probably. <Or laughs> I like, don't know. By that time, I think like that was, I, that was using calling cards on the home phone. So that was, oh, before so I had you didn't a have cell a cell phone. phone. Okay. Then no. And then that was after I had a cell phone, it was like after nine o'clock, I could call for yeah, free. Minutes are free. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, back in the days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, he, he was using calling cards near the murder sites around the times they were committed. On March 5th, 1981, Randall was brought into the Salem Police Department for an interrogation after Lisa Garcia positively identified him in a photo lineup. So you she remember Lisa real. Garcia? Which one was she? That's who, so many. That's who he shot in the head and left oh, for dead. She get came it. back and was like, mm-mm, mm-mm. Yeah, girl. I also want to ask, who the hell was he calling from payphones near the murder sites? Well, you know, it like, wasn't anybody why? that attended his party. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, who are you calling and why? I just, I don't, I don't know. But <laughs> yes, I was very excited to see her come back and, yes. and get him. Good. Good for you, Lisa. That was probably very therapeutic, too. You know, like, and, you ain't gonna yeah. get me. Probably scary, too. But yeah. Yeah. Good for you. Um, his apartment in Springfield, Oregon, was subsequently searched two days later by warrant. So it's moving now, finally. Mm-hmm. Law enforcement discovered a spent 32 shell casing inside a racquetball bag. As Could there be anything more? Like, of course, it'd be in a freaking racquetball bag. But also, like, isn't it kind of amazing how they find stuff like that? Like... They're- it's in a house. Yeah. I They're mean, thorough. Like, that's amazing. <laughs> there could be a 32 shell casing and a racquetball bag in my house, and I don't even know it. Yeah, I know. Me too. <laughs> and I'm so never it's like impressive. I've never even played racquetball, but I'm not saying there's not one here. You know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. As well as a roll of tape that matched the tape found on the victims. And that whole thing's amazing too. Like the fact that they can, a roll of tape or a carpet fiber, like they can drill yeah. it down that far. Mm-hmm. On March 7th, Randall was taken into custody after being positively identified by several Oregon robbery victims. On March 16th, indictments for murder, rape, sodomy, attempted kidnapping, armed robbery, and illegal possession of firearms were initiated from various jurisdictions in Washington and Oregon. You got everybody coming for you, bro. You sure do. In the summer of 1981, Randall was tried in Salem for the murder of Hull, and that's who he shot with Lisa Garcia, as well as charges of sodomy and attempted murder of Lisa. Lisa testified against him in the trial and was key in the prosecution's conviction. Wow. Chris Van Dyke, son of beloved actor Dick Van Dyke, was the Mary Count- Marion County District Attorney at the time, and he prosecuted the case. Wow. That's that was cool. interesting. Uh-huh. I love Dick Van Dyke. I think it was like one of his first ones, too. Like one of his first cases. That's a Van Dyke. Mm-hmm. Van Dyke would later characterize Randall as an arrogant, cold, unemotional individual, probably the coldest, most detached defendant I've ever seen. 
On June 26, 1981, after three and a half hours of deliberation, Randall was convicted on all counts and sentenced to life in prison, plus 90 years. Yes. Let's shock him back alive and make him serve all of it, please. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank God for that, for everyone and for Lisa. Like, just her peace of mind knowing that she's safe. He's away. Yeah. yeah. He is going away now forever. In October 1981, a second trial was held in Benton County, Oregon, in which Randall received sodomy and weapons charges tied to one of the attacks in the restroom bathroom or restaurant bathroom, excuse me. Prior to this trial, his counsel attempted to move the trial from the Willamette Valley. He felt that owing to the publicity the case received, Randall would not get a fair trial there. Well, bro, you went everywhere. Where do you want to go? To the moon? That's the only place safe for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, the judge in the case denied counsel's request, thankfully, along with a request to hypnotize what a prosecution witness in an effort to determine if that witness had been influenced by the media coverage. I've never They're heard gasping that for straws over here. <laughs> <laughs> Randall was convicted by the jury and had an additional 35 years added to his already instated sentence another nail get it Mm -hmm. despite the apparent links with countless other crimes and homicides randall would not be prosecuted for the majority of the crimes he was believed to have committed unable to afford multiple trials the state of oregon was satisfied with randall's existing life sentence randall is serving his sentences at the oregon state penitentiary in salem In October 1983, he was injured by a fellow inmate during a prison disturbance. In April 1987, he filed a 12-million libel suit against author Anne Rule. You don't come after Anne Rule. I know. Well, she authored a book called The I-5 Killer, an account of Randall's (laughs) life and crime spree in 1984, The federal court in Oregon dismissed the lawsuit in January 1988, citing that the statute of limitations on such a lawsuit had expired. So Anne Rule, I think maybe I say this later, maybe not. I don't really know. But she also wrote The Stranger Beside Me about Bundy. Yes. And that's a great book. And she like knew him. Yes. She worked with him for a long time and like talked to him through the trial. That book is huge. And there's a lot of facts, but it's so well written. I just bought a book, another book from her that's a true crime book. And I struggle with true crime books sometimes. I do too. But she writes so beautifully. I if you That's good want, to know because I haven't read anything from her, but I have the stranger beside me. You can borrow it. Okay. Um, but it's like it's long. So just yeah. be mentally prepared for that. But yeah, she she's amazing. I love her. Um and good good because he doesn't what's he gonna do with 12 mil he can't do anything i don't know (laughs) it would go to his victims is what it would do um which that would be nice yeah but not on ann rule's expense (laughs) she did protect her at all costs right by 1990 after the discovery of more victims randall was suspected in more as many as 44 homicides holy cow In 2001 and 2006, DNA testing linked Randall to two additional murders in Oregon that occurred from 1980 and 1981. 
In 2012, detectives in the Portland Police Bureau's cold case unit benefiting from a new magnetic bead technology at the Oregon State Police Crime Lab announced that they had matched Woodfield's DNA to evidence from five victims. Which we already talked about these victims, but this is when they were able to link them. So this is for Fix, Jarvis, Eckert, and Eltick, and Reitz. So those those five. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, as in other jurisdictions, authorities in Portland's Multomic, that's wrong, Multonama. Man, you just (laughs) rolled through it earlier, and I was very impressed, but now I don't even know how you said it before. Multonama. Multonama. Yeah. I don't know. That county. County. They decided not to prosecute the murders of Altic, Ayers, and Fix. They did, however, hold a press conference to make it clear in the unlikely event that Woodfield was ever granted a parole hearing that they would pursue these additional indictments, which is a good thing to have in your back pocket, right? Especially for a guy like this who has gotten out and it's good to have those just in case you Mm -hmm. need them. Yeah. Hopefully they don't ever need it, but yes. Mm Mm-hmm. Anne Rule, who passed away in 2015 at the age of 83, long ago concluded that Woodfield killed women as a form of rebellion against his authoritarian mother and two older sisters, which I take issue with. I'm sorry. You had a strong mother and two strong, awesome sisters and you felt lesser than like, is that what this is? I don't like that. That's stupid. Boo-hoo. He could have been strong, too. He was just dumb. Yeah. Exactly. An NFL football star. Mm hmm. Then Lawrence, the Portland detective, offers a different theory. Again, these are just theories on why he did this. Um, he said there had to be something that happened to him sexually in his formative teenage years that caused him to look at sexual activity as power fulfillment as opposed to an area of procreation and of intimacy. So mm. who knows? Yeah. Nobody knows. During his time in the penitentiary, I don't know if he... mm. Mm. Basically, Randall has married three times and has divorced twice. (laughs) Potentially potentially three times now. I don't know. But at least one of the times he got married was while he was in prison. Those women worry me. Yeah. They concern me also. Some letters he wrote from prison were sold online as a collection titled The Serial Killer Letters and published by the Charles Press. (laughs) So, yeah. And if you want to read further on this topic, again, the I-5 killer by Ann Rule is out there. And then the Sports Illustrated article that I came across was actually extremely interesting. I only used a few things from that, but it's called the I-5 killer by L. John Wertheim and it's on Sports Illustrated's website. And it's very like football focused and focused on his football career and like people he played with and stuff like that. So if you're interested in that angle, you should check it out. It was pretty cool. So wow. That is interesting. Okay. So I used that Sports Illustrated article again, the I five killer by L. John Wartime, and I used Wikipedia.com, all that's interesting.com, and murderpedia.org. Well, that I've heard of the I five killer, but I've never known about like what he did. And this is not how I thought it was gonna go. I thought it was somebody just leaving bodies on the side of the road. So this was mm-hmm. very interesting and crazy. Yeah, different. I mean, it was different than what I expected to. And I really tried to look 
at who married this guy because mm-hmm. I didn't know it never mentioned in anything I read that he was married during the time he was not in prison yeah so I didn't see any of that so I was like did he, this guy get married three times while he was in prison and I don't know if he did or not because I could only find information about one person and all I could find about her was her name yeah so I don't know what's up with that I tried <laughs> Well, but, if you ever find yourself in a predicament where you're like, should I marry somebody who's incarcerated? No, mm-mm. Mm-mm. don't do that. <laughs> That's our, no. uh, our takeaway from this. <laughs> don't do that. Don't uh, do that. Along with many others, but all right, well, that wraps it up. We hope you enjoyed this episode 156 on Randall Woodfield at the I-5 killer. We hope that you have a great week and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.